Hey everyone, welcome back. I'm your host, Sherry. I've gotten so many new listeners in the last week or two, and I just want to say thank you so much for listening. Without you, I certainly wouldn't keep doing this. I was blown away when I heard just how many are tuning in. This story today I put together within the last 12 hours. It's one that's been on my radar, though, for at least three years. This story could have been ripped from the script of a movie. We have a young woman who is only 20 years old. She is abducted one night while talking to her boyfriend on a payphone. The details of her abduction happened so fast and her boyfriend heard the entire thing. So here we go. This is episode 81, The Case of Angela Hammond. This story takes place in 1991. Let's go back to that time period for a moment. Nickelodeon introduces Rugrats and the Ren and Stimpy show. There was Operation Desert Storm taking place in the Middle East. Amateur video captures the beating of Rodney King by Los Angeles police officers. Jeffrey Dahmer was finally arrested after the remains of 11 young men were found in his Milwaukee apartment. Freddie Mercury announced he had AIDS and then passed away the next day. Magic Johnson announced he was HIV positive and he retired from the NBA. And lastly, in better news, the Super Nintendo system was released along with Sonic the Hedgehog. Angela Hammond was born in Missouri on February 9, 1971 to parents Marcia and Ray Hammond. She is one of four siblings. Her parents divorced when she was younger, but remained civil towards one another. But Angela Angela was separated from her dad, but she still saw him for visits, and she seemed to have a good childhood with both parents being active in her life. Angela is 20 years old at the time of this story in 1991. She is a college student who is studying to become a teacher, and she also works as a clerk at a bank. Angela is engaged to a man who is one year younger than her named Rob Schaefer. Rob was a star athlete who just graduated high school the year prior. Rob had proposed to Angela and she said yes. Together they were expecting their first child as Angela was four months pregnant. Rob has plans to join the military this summer while Angela continues college and working at the bank. The town they live in of Clinton, Missouri is considered a small town. Like you walk into a diner and everyone knows who you are. People meet up on Friday nights to watch the high school football game. As of 2021, the population is 9,200 people. On April 4th, 1991, Angela and Rob had attended a family barbecue at Angela's mother's house. Everyone says they had a great time. Lots of family was there, good food and conversations, and the weather was unseasonably warm. Around 9 p.m., Angela takes Rob back to Clinton because he has to babysit his little brother while his parents go out. 
They agree once his parents come back, they would get together again. So she drops Rob off. And then Angela picked up her best friend, Kyla, and they cruised around downtown for a while in Angela's Mustang. She drops Kyla off at 11.15 p.m., and Angela is beginning to feel tired. I get it. She's four months pregnant, and you usually feel more exhausted than normal during that particular stage. Angela pulls into a shopping plaza. Again, this is after 11 p.m. in a very small town. She parks her car in a parking spot at a curb and walks in front of two payphone booths in front of the food barn grocery store, which is closed for the night. She's going to call Rob's parents' house and tell Rob she just doesn't feel like hanging. Remember, back then, hardly anyone had a cell phone. If you did, it was like this big suitcase thing in your car and you were a super rich person. There's been a lot of talk about why she didn't just drive to Rob's parents' house since it was only seven blocks away from this payphone that she's at. She could have told him in person. I don't have an answer for that. I can only speculate there were two reasons why. Perhaps she didn't want to show up and have his little brother be woken up. Maybe the dogs would go crazy and bark or whatever. Or I only know this because I remember when my son was 18 and would watch his little sister late at night while his dad and I went out. Rule number one, no friends or partners come over while you're babysitting. So maybe this was a rule his parents enforced, and I can't say I would blame them if they did. But for whatever reason, Angela gets out of the car to use this payphone to call Rob, who is seven blocks away, to cancel their plans for the night and tell him that she is just going to go on home and soak in a bathtub and then go to sleep. They talked on the phone for 30 minutes. That's a 1991 thing. You paid 25 cents for a call. You're going to get your money's worth. You're not just going to call and talk for a minute and hang up. But around 11.45 p.m., Angela is standing at this phone booth talking to Rob, and she says she sees this dark green pickup truck, and it's doing circles around the parking lot. She tells him it's a 1970s dark green Ford pickup truck. She's unconcerned at first watching this truck just circle around the parking lot until she sees it park next to her Mustang. There are two phone booths here. Angela is using one, so she is praying whoever is in that truck just wants to use the other one, and that's it. She whispers to Rob that a man got out of the truck and is walking towards her. She is full-blown panic at this point. The man steps up to the next payphone booth, and you got to remember, this is literally two feet from Angela. Rob says, what does he look like? Angela whispers that he's filthy and bearded. He was also wearing overalls and had glasses. Angela assumes the phone is broken, and that's why he isn't using it. Then he gets back in his truck and is rummaging around with a flashlight. Angela, wanting to break some of the tension, says out loud, do you need to use the phone? He says no, and he would try again in a minute. Angela and Rob go back to talking about other things, just like they were before the man pulled up. Angela is now faced away from the man and his truck with her back towards him. They continued their conversation for a minute. Then Rob hears Angela scream, and a man says, I didn't need to use the phone anyway. Then Rob hears a scuffle taking place. Rob immediately leaves his sleeping brother in the house and gets in his truck and drives towards the shopping center. There's hardly any cars out in the small town during this time. While en route, he sees a dark green older Ford pickup truck driving in the opposite direction and it passes him. 
While it passed, he heard a female voice scream his name, Robbie. It was Angela. So Rob slams on his brakes and throws the truck into reverse to make a U-turn. Doing this completely obliterated his transmission. He was able to chase the truck for two miles and said the truck had a big fish decal on the back window, like the whole back window was the scenery of a fish jumping out of water. Think of the Bass Pro Shops logo. As he's following the man, he makes a right turn. Rob makes a right turn right behind him and his transmission completely gives out and all he can do is watch this truck's taillights get further and further away into the darkness. Rob's truck has broken down and it won't move. He knew that it would be impossible to chase the truck on foot, so he really doesn't have any idea what to do here. He gets out and begins walking. Then a good Samaritan pulls up and offers him a ride. He asked them to take him to the police station where he gave them a report of everything that happened. The police were a little skeptical at first. This all seemed like the script from a movie and to have it happen in the small town late at night was unheard of. They've never had any crimes like this. Plus the fact that he followed the truck for two miles and didn't get a license plate number. I'm on Rob's side here. Honestly, even knowing everything I know about true crime cases, if I'm in that moment and I don't know if I'm going to even remember to get the license plate number, I'm going to have a million things going through my mind, especially at such a young age. I would probably think to crash my truck into the vehicle, but maybe not get the license plate number. Looking back, Rob feels there was more that he could have done, but many have told him he did everything he could with what he had at the time. Rob was given a polygraph and passed. Plus, they had a witness who would come forward and say they saw a dark green truck and a Ford Mustang parked next to each other and two people standing at the payphones. It took a full week and Rob was cleared. Angela's family supports Rob 100% and say there is no question that he is involved. Besides, he's a 19-year-old kid who would be hard-pressed to pull off an abduction and then asked to be driven immediately to the police station. They go out to Rob's truck and see it. it is indeed broken down. The transmission is shot, and it's right where he said it would be. His story never changed, no matter how many times the police talked to him. Being interrogated will make you confess most times, especially someone young like Rob. But Rob is now cleared, and they can begin looking for the real abductor. The police enter everything they know about this truck, the possible year, the make, the color green, into their database, and over 1,600 matches come up. Angela described the man to Rob as a filthy Caucasian man with glasses, a beard, and a mustache. He was wearing overalls. He drove an older model, two-tone green Ford pickup truck with the mural of a fish jumping out of water on the back window. It's so strange to me that we have the description of him along with the vehicle make and model and it has this big identifying feature which is the fish and we still don't know who it is. You would figure someone out there would say hey that sounds just like my uncle Bob's truck or whatever but no one did. One thing I'm confused about and so are a lot of other people was the composite sketch that was drawn of the suspect. It didn't look anything like the man Angela quietly described to Rob on the phone. The man in the sketch wasn't wearing glasses, and he was clean-shaven. According to TrueCrimeArticles.wordpress, quote, The community rallied together, distributing missing persons posters all throughout town. 
plastering the photographs on local storefront windows, diners, and truck stops that were often frequented. Over 250 volunteers, including friends, family, and the police, conducted air and ground searches, scouring the entirety of Clinton looking for Angela. Water wells, creek beds, old country roads that are isolated, barns, woods, fields, and abandoned buildings were heavily combed with no luck. So the police reach out to the public for help. They request that property owners should check out buildings such as cabins, barns, or other structures on their property for any sign of Angela. The fact that Angela was only 4 foot 11 inches tall has some people believing the abductor may have thought she was a child. The Clinton Police Department reached out to Missouri Rural Crime Scene Squad. They need help because this case is too advanced for this small de- police department. Even though they're doing the best they can, I'm not knocking them, I promise. I'm just It's just known that other agencies needed to get involved to assist. This happens all the time. They eventually pulled out after not finding any clues to her whereabouts. Angela's employer, Union Bank, even put up a large reward for her return. They discover a possible connection to Angela's disappearance and the disappearance of two other women. All three were in a 100-mile radius of each other, almost like a triangle. On January 19, 1991, less than three months before Angela was taken, a 42-year-old convenience store worker named Trudy Darby called her adult son to tell him that there was a strange man lurking around outside her store. Ten minutes later, when her son arrived, Trudy was nowhere to be found. Her body was located by a river two days later. She had been raped and then shot in the head. The other case was 27-year-old Cheryl Kinney, another convenience store worker in Missouri. She vanished after locking up her store on the night of February 27th, leaving her car abandoned. This was one month after Trudy's disappearance and about six weeks before Angela's disappearance. It wouldn't be until 1995 when two brothers, Jesse Rush and Marvin Cheney, were arrested and charged with Trudy's murder after Jesse confessed to a neighbor. They were sentenced to life in prison and told other inmates they had killed two other women, but they didn't say if they were Cheryl Kinney and Angela Hammond, but many believed these were the two women that they were talking about. I saw their mugshots and one has a big full beard. Marvin died in prison in 2017, and Jesse is up for early release since he was under 18 at the time of the murder, which really pissed off Trudy's son, and rightfully so. We don't know if these two were involved in Angela's abduction. They wouldn't say who the other two women are. Either way, this dude needs to be buried under the jail. Whether it was Cheryl and Angela or two other missing women, they all deserve justice. The police eventually had to rule out Jesse and Marvin from Angela's case since they couldn't find any evidence connecting them. One credible lead we've had is from October 1991, which is six months after Angela's disappearance. A man in Manitoba, Canada, who was visiting family in Missouri, saw Angela's missing persons photo and a a description of the truck and said he remembered seeing a woman getting in a green Ford truck at a pharmacy near his home in Canada, and she looked just like the woman in the missing persons flyer. Plus, the truck had a big mural of fish on the back window. The police in Missouri contacted the police in Canada, and they distributed Angela's photo around up there. 
Plus, they checked baby stores and pregnancy centers and showed her photo around. Since if Angela was still alive, she likely would have given birth by now. They checked hospitals and homeless shelters, but no one recognized her. It has been 32 years since that night. This case was featured on Unsolved Mysteries and a few other shows. It's gotten a lot of attention over the years. Rob went on to join the military, but he was really messed up for a long time. He was in basic training, which is hard on its own, but also dealing with the aftermath of his fiance and unborn child being taken and possibly killed. Angela's family still stand by Rob and say they believe he is not involved. Rob eventually moved 60 miles away and started his own family, but still thinks often of that night. It wouldn't be until April 2021, this is 30 years after Angela was abducted. The police come out and say there is a new theory. They believe this case was a case of mistaken identity. They were given a ransom note by a confidential informant. This ransom note was dated April 4th, 1991, the same day that Angela disappeared. It was a piece of paper with newspaper or magazine letters cut out and pasted on it. The informant said that he and his wife and daughter were living in Clinton, Missouri at the time Angela was taken. His daughter's name was Angela as well, and she appeared to have a resemblance to Angela Hammond. It's also known that the police have more info that they can't release that ties this mistaken identity theory. But the police chief said that this man had been involved in a case where he was a confidential informant. This was a pretty significant narcotics case that disrupted some pretty big drug business. He also said, revisiting the case file again for the third or fourth time, we ran across this lead from very early on in the investigation. It is believed that they got the wrong Angela. So they were going after this guy's daughter since he ruined a major drug deal. And the Angela they took was a different Angela who just so happened to live in the same town and look just like his daughter. The Clinton Police Department posted a lengthy write-up about this case on their Facebook page and stressed the point that Angela has not been forgotten. One part reads... After speaking with several people of interest and potential witnesses, the theory developed by investigators is that, in retribution for the informant providing information that led to the prosecution and disruption of this criminal enterprise, a person or persons involved in the criminal enterprise planned and executed the kidnapping of the informant's daughter. Some mistake was made as to the identity of the targeted Angie, who had some physical resemblance to Angela Hammond, resulting in Hammond's abduction. I'll read you guys the ransom note. The parts where I say redacted are when the person addresses the informant by the number that had been assigned to him to protect his identity. I also use redacted for when he is addressing the guy's wife. Hello, redacted. We know who you are, redacted. People like you deserve what they get. We know where your foxy daughter is at. She will see us soon. Tell Redacted she has our deepest sympathy in her further loss. Goodbye, Redacted. 
So much has changed in the world since Angela's disappearance. It's sad knowing if Angela was 20 years old in 2023. She likely would have called Rob from her cell phone in her car and say, hey, I'm tired, I don't feel like going out with you tonight, and then it's done. Or she would have just sent a text. She wouldn't have even gotten out of the car or pulled into the shopping center. Also, there would have been street cameras that would have captured this car chase between Rob and the abductor. There would have been a digital trail as well. The payphones have long since been removed. The food barn, which was the grocery store where the payphones stood, has closed down. It's not in business anymore. Angela's body has never been located. This case is so cold, it's hard to believe she will ever be found, but her family still holds out hope that she will be located. Angela was described as popular, outgoing, and friendly. She wanted to be a teacher and was a great employee at the bank where she worked. In 2010, the governor of Missouri proclaimed June 17th as Angela Hammond Day. Angela, wherever you are, people are still looking for you. Your family will not give up until you are found. That's it for this week, and I'll see you all again soon. Take care, and much love to you all.